All right, guys, uh, let's start at Genesis 1 and 2 today. But before we actually get there, we need to do a quick brief overview of verse number 1. Now, we dealt with the issue of Genesis 1 and 1 that the world, the universe in itself, was created in a very perfect and orderly fashion. And that's why we went in verse number 1 and dealt with those issues concerning with the seven Hebrew words that indicate perfection and completion. And that's the idea that the whole universe in its entirety was perfect and in order. And that, and, and we want to emphasize that because we dealt with other theories, those particular theories. Remember those theories that we dealt with? The first was the initial chaos theory that when God created the world, it was initially in a chaotic state. And then there was the pre-creation and where we see God actually taking matter and the matter itself was in a disorganized state and God organized the matter. And finally, there was the gap theory and that's what we hold to and that's what we're going to actually look at when we get into Genesis 1 and 2 today. And the gap theory simply says this, the universe in its entirety was created perfectly and in an ordered fashion. That's Genesis 1 and 1. By the time we get to verse number 2, there is an expanse of time. We don't know how long the time could was. The time could be thousands. It could even be millions of years in between Genesis 1 and 2. But it was in between Genesis 1 and 2 that we have this unknown expanse of time. And it was somewhere in this time that the universe, namely the world, fell into a chaotic state. And when I use the term fail, we don't mean it just fell. Actually, as we're going to discuss it later on, it was judged by God. And we now find it at verse number two in that disordered state. Okay. So that's the gap theory. And it helps us understand when we get into verse number two, we see actually what's taking place in verse number two. Why all of the chaos? All right. All right. So now let's go. Okay. Again, as we talk about verse number two, we're going to get into the Hebrew text and we got to get into the Hebrew text guys, because the Hebrew text helps us to understand what's going on. It provides some of somewhat of a commentary for us when we actually look at the grammar. So nobody's trying to impress you. And just in case you don't understand it, it's okay. I'll take you through it step by step, but I don't want to go too deep and get, get you all bored in it. I want to just stick with the basic commentary and the teaching on the book of Genesis. Okay. But we do from time to time have to step into the language and this just like verse number one, this is one of those times that we have to look into the language. But before we begin all of that, let's simply read the verse, look at it, and then we'll come back, break it all apart, dissect it. And then at the very end, we'll try to have some sort of a, a discussion with what in the world is taking place in between Genesis one and one and one and two. All right. Reading the verse. The earth was formless and void 
and darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Now we basically have three clauses here and the, 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 the idea is they are basically circumstantial clauses, but don't worry about all of that. But these three clauses, and we're going to break these three clauses down as we examine them to find out what is going on. What did it say? First clause, the earthly was formless and void. Second clause, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. Third clause, and the spirit of God was moving over the surface of the water. So when we get into verse number two, what do we see? We see a chaotic state when we compare the perfect universe of verse number one. Notice in the beginning, God created that perfectly ordered universe. When we get into verse number two, there is absolute chaos. Instead of the earth being perfect, the earth is now what? Formless and void. So now let's just go over to the Hebrew text right quick, guys. Let's examine it and we'll see exactly why we took some of the positions that we took, namely the gap theory, okay? And we'll also see what was going on in the earth that caused it to be formless and void. Okay, now the first thing that we want to see, is in, in, now in the Hebrew text it says, Waha Eretz, Waha Eretz. It literally means, and the earth. Now this is the first thing, and I want to kind of take my time so that you'll understand it. And even if you don't know Hebrew, it's good to understand this point. So let me, let me make it clear to you. In Hebrew, Hebrew grammar, the verb usually comes before the subject. Okay? The verb often precedes the subject. And the idea is in a Hebrew narrative. Say, for instance, when you're kind of like telling a story and you're dealing with one event, taking place after another event, uh, that's basically the narrative sequence. In the normal narrative sequence in Hebrew, the verb comes first. And that verb would often be preceded almost every single time with the conjunction wow. So it would always have that conjunction, wow, and this, and then that, and then this. Okay, that's the idea of the narrative. And it's kind of given the idea of something that is happening in some sort of a sequence. However, there are times, and this is the case now, where the verb does not come first, but actually the subject comes first. Like in English, English we have what? Subject then the verb, and then the object. But again, Hebrew, verb first, and then is usually followed by the subject, and then you'll have the object. That's how it works in the Hebrew, okay? But that's the normal narrative sense. But here we have the wow being prefixed, that means added in front of, prefixed to the subject, and the subject is Ha'ades, the earth. So we have what is called here a disjunctive wow. A disjunctive wow. A disjunctive wow basically happens when, and, and, and a wow, okay, just in case I'm going a little fast. The wow is nothing more 
than the conjunction in Hebrew that is simply translated usually and, but, also, or now. It's usually, or then, usually translated that way, the while. But when the while is added on to the subject and it co and is coming in the first position, we call that the disjunctive while. And when we have a disjunctive while, it means that there has been a stop in the narrative. And that's why we call it the gap theory. So notice we have those first Barashith bara Elohim if in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. We got that first part. And then instead of the verb coming, we got the subject coming with that disjunctive wow, which means now there's a gap of time. And so that gap of time because, or should I say it this way, that disjunctive wow lets us see that there is a gap in the time. And since there is a gap in the time, it helps, it provides a commentary for us. So what does it say? It says that there was a perfectly ordered universe that God created. That's verse one. And then it says at verse number two, gap of time, stop the narrative. Stop the narrative. Something has happened that caused the earth that was once perfect and in an ordered state, now all of a sudden is in a totally disordered state. You got it? And so that's what that disjunctive wow in that waha audience does for us. It lets us know there is a stop in the narrative, or as we say, there's a gap. And that's why we and put all together those are the things that I've been saying. That's been a gap in time and the earth has fallen. When I say fallen, guys, I don't mean it just fell. God judged it, okay? We'll talk about that judgment. But the earth is now being pictured in a state of total disarray, all right? So now let's move on to the next word. So it says, and the earth, okay, that word, that next Hebrew word, hayat is normally translated was it simply means to be okay it is normally translated was however the word can also be translated become and that is the proper translation that the word should have in this context and the earth became and just in case we have some hebrew grammar students who would say that the lamid would often precede would be attached to the next word uh, that is usually the case normally but that's not always the case and even in the book of genesis the lamed and guys if you don't know hebrew don't worry about this part but just in case if you some some of you guys do the lamed is not always prefixed to the next word so that hayah can be translated as become all right so now let's go back with everybody so everybody gonna join in so the word and the earth, hayah, it literally means and the earth became. That means that the perfect state of the earth is now in a different state. And what is that state? If that state is being uh, known it, it, by the word tohu and bohu. Tohu wa bohu. That's the next phrase. And that's what they translated formless 
and void. And the idea of formless, it simply means that the earth is without a proper state. You remember that perfect ordered creation that God created, verse number one. Now we see instead of it being perfect and in order, it is in a state of chaos and total disorder. That's why it uses both terms, tohu and bohu. And bohu simply means void. That means in the, just, 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 just think of it. Those two terms coming together simply means this, a dis, a totally disordered state. Okay. So here is the point. When it says that the earth became tohu and bohu. Tohu and bohu is a parallel. It is a parallel to Genesis 1 and 1. Notice in Genesis 1 and 1, in the beginning, God created what? The heavens and the earth. Parallel number one. But notice verse number two, but the earth became formless and void, tohu and bohu. That's the second. So you see the parallel that's existing. What is this? What is the scripture trying to teach us? Moses, God trying to say, he's saying, as you see in the beginning, the world is in a very perfectly ordered state. By the time you get to verse number two, it is in a perfectly disordered state. Or should we have, should we even say it's in total disarray? And that's why he says tohu and bohu, that perfectly ordered creation is now completely gone. And that's the meaning of verse number two. Okay. All right. So whatever has taken place, we'll discuss that at the end. It is now left an ordered universe destroyed. And what happened? And we don't have to do much of the Hebrew in this, but we'll just deal with a couple of words. And darkness was upon the face of the deep. And so now we see a universe enveloped in darkness. And always remember, darkness is the symbolism for judgment. It is also, a, darkness also symbolizes the presence of sin. And we'll talk about that. Just remember that for the future. Darkness symbolizes what? judgment and sin. Darkness was upon the face of the deep. Now the word that it uses for the deep is the Hebrew word to home. And, and it uses this word and without getting into all a bunch of talking guys, all it's simply doing is highlighting the fact that the world is disordered and it's under judgment. So we see the deep as the sense of something that's just in total disarray. You got it? So that's the second clause. Now let's get to our third and our final clause, and then we'll get to some more explanation of what's going on. And the spirit, Ruach, the spirit of Elohim, the spirit of the Lord was hovering upon the face of the waters. And now we see the introduction to the third person of the triune God. Now you guys go back and look at the teaching that we made on Genesis 1 and 1 when we talk about Elohim, the plurality of the name of God, opens the door to the plurality of God. Not something exact, not dogmatic, but is it, you know we're moving in that direction. But now we begin to see what? Furthermore evidence as we see the third member of the triune 
uh, one God, the, the triune Godhead, and that is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is now involved in creation. And notice how the Bible says he pictures over an entire planet that is completely covered with water. It uses the Hebrew term merohepheth, merohepheth. And that term simply, it means this, it's like a bird that's hovering and flapping its wings. It's like a mother bird who is hovering and kind of like protecting over her young. So it kind of gives those idea. So that's why it uses the idea that the spirit was hovering like a bird over it. And so what we see is the caringness. Notice, notice, notice. See the caringness. So whatever judgment fell upon the earth, or should I say God brought upon the earth, now we begin to see the mercies of God coming as the Holy Spirit, like a mother, in a nurturing sense, beginning to act once again in creation. And notice, hovering over the face of the waters. And the word for waters here is Mayama. Mayim is the word that is used. That's the normal Hebrew word for waters instead of to home. So here's the idea. The world that was in disarray as the Holy Spirit begins to hover over all of the, the planet that's covered with water, the idea is now we are beginning that caring process. And that caring process of God, even the Holy Spirit, will lead to the restoration of the planet, of the Adamite planet, the creation being restored once again. Okay, now, now that I said that, all right, now I gotta be careful of my time because of the video, I don't want the video to cut off. What is going on here? We have now the world being prepared for the Adamite creation. When I say the Adamite creation, that simply means this. When we look at Genesis, and I know I'm not there, but just to help you understand it. When we look at Genesis verse number three, all the way to chapter two, verse three, we see all of the creative act of seven days of work, seven days of the creative work of God. But this is the restoration of the planet. This is not the initial creation. Remember, Genesis 1 and verse 1 is the initial creation. Somewhere in the dateless past is when God first created the universe. We don't exactly know when, but what happened? Verse two lets us know that creation was completely destroyed. Tohu and Bohu. It was completely destroyed and the world was completely covered by water. So when we get into verse number three, that is the very first day. And let me slow it down. Verse number three is the very first first day of the days of creation. That's when God begins to say, let there be light. And notice when we deal with that section, it says the evening and the morning is the first day. So what we actually have is a renovation of the earth. Why? Remember the earth is totally covered by water. It has been destroyed. And verse number three of Genesis, 
is the beginning of the first day of the Adamite creation. And when I say the Adamite creation, that is at notice Genesis 1 and 26. Let us make man in our image and after our likeness. That man we know became Adam. So Genesis verse 1 and 3, that's when God is renovating. He's doing it again. The destruction of the earth. Notice he causes the waters to cease. He begins to do all of these things. That is a renovation. That is not the creation. The creation took place at verse number one. In between verses one and two, that creation was totally, completely destroyed. When we get to verse number three, God, by his spirit, begins to rejuvenate, renovate the world all over again. He takes six days to do these things. On the seventh day, he read. So Genesis verse three deals with the creation for Adam. That is for us for us all right so now in the final minutes let me talk about what happened so the question you should be asking yourself is well what in the world took place between genesis 1 and 1 and verse number 2 that caused god to judge so completely that he destroyed everything and that's when you have to refer to, and here's our basic reference, Ezekiel chapter 28, I think it's something like verses 11 through 19, Isaiah chapter 14, those two chapters, as well as Jeremiah chapter 4, I think it's verse 23. But the issue is dealing with the kingdom of Satan. So here it is. In the initial creation, Genesis 1 and 1, God created the heaven and earth, all right? That was created for Satan. However, initially, when God initially created Satan and crowned him, if you let me use that terminology, as the head, the chief of all angels, the greatest of all cherubims, his first station, or kind of say domain, no mean to rule in the sense of domain here, but it was over the throne of God. And that basically dealt with the authority that God had given him. And that's what you see in Ezekiel chapter one and Satan is missing. And all you see are the cherubims underneath the throne of God. All right. Because Satan has been removed. Okay. But his first station was over the throne of God. All right. Everything is fine. No sin. From some point in time, and the Bible doesn't give us the dates and times of these things or the chronological history, Satan, his next place of authority or domain was the original earth. That's Genesis 1 and 1, okay? Satan's next place of domain was the original earth, Genesis 1 and 1. And God gave Satan domain authority over the whole earth. He ruled it. It was his to govern. And Satan was the first occupant in the original Garden of Eden. When I say the original, when you get to Genesis chapter 2, that's not the original Garden of Eden. That's the second one. The original garden of Eden was a mineral garden. And when I say a mineral garden, 
I simply mean one that was covered with jewels. And you will see that in the book of Ezekiel 28, when you see that Satan walked upon all of these different types of jewels that shone with bright light. And he, even he himself shone with the brightness of light. So he was in the original garden and the garden was covered with precious stones and jewels and all of that. What Ezekiel continues to tell us is Satan became lifted up in pride because of his wisdom and his beauty and he rebelled against God. He went from angel to angel trying to move them against God to take his side in a rebellion against God. That's Revelation chapter, what is it, 12, where the Bible teaches he led a third of the angels. They, in other words, a third of the angels rebelled alongside of him in this rebellion against God to do what? Isaiah chapter 14, to overthrow, to take over God's throne. I will be like the most high. And he led a rebellion in heaven itself. And therefore God cast him down from heaven and he lost his authority and dominion over the earth. And Jeremiah chapter four, in God's judgment of Satan's domain. Remember he ruled over the earth, the original perfect earth where the garden of Eden was not an earthly garden, a garden of dirt. Cause that's what Adam had, a garden of Eden of dirt. Satan had a garden of Eden of jewels. It was completely different. And that's why God judged him for his sins. So what happened? And that's why when you get to verse number two, after that original Satan's rebellion, God cast him down and judged him and God judged his domain, the earth, that's why you see, and the earth was tohu and bohu, formless and void, because God destroyed Satan's domain and dominion, which was the original earth, the original earth. So therefore, when you get to verse number three, now let's go all the way back to Genesis again, even though we're not covering it, but just preparing you for it. When you get back to verse number three, we are at who knows how long after the earth has been under judgment by God and Satan and his angels have been under this particular judgment by God. Who knows what expanse of time, the gap theory, the gap theory that this actually is. And when we get to verse number three, what do we see? God mercifully by his Holy Spirit says, I have not made a complete end of all things. He begins to renovate the earth all over again. But this time, Satan will not have the dominion. This time, Adam, or should I even say, man, we will have the dominion over the earth. And that is till we mess that up. <laughs> But anyway, guys, thanks for joining me. Now we see what's going on in between Genesis 1 and 2. Catch you next time.